Well, God bless you, everybody, this morning. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Genesis? We're going we're gonna to specifically study chapter 12, but so much more. And if you're new to us, we have been uh, doing an Advent study called Christmas from the Beginning. So as you're turning there, I just want to tell the kids, isn't it, I, I always love to say this. I love this phrase, just one more sleep until Christmas. I just love that. That's, that's helpful for me. That's how I should measure time in my life. How many more sleeps till something happens? Um, what an adventure it is to wait for Christmas. Waiting is weird though, isn't it? Um, it, can be, it can be very wonderful. And it can be very wearying. Which, which, where do you find yourself this morning in terms of some things you're waiting for? Waiting can make you want to get up in the morning with faith and expectancy. Or have you ever been here? Waiting can you make, just, make you just roll over in bed and put your pillow over your head and just groan. It's, it's, it's interesting how we respond to waiting. In some ways, I think it's harder for kids to wait for Christmas now than it was for me to wait for Christmas some 60 years ago. And some of you are going, wow. He doesn't look that old. No, and they're going, no, he's, he's that old. Um, in my time, the wait for Christmas started the day after Thanksgiving. That was kind of back in what I can remember. And that seemed like forever. So just the day after Thanksgiving until Christmas seemed like forever. But somehow Christmas told Thanksgiving to move over and make room for it. And, th- and since then, Christmas seems to have its eyes set on Halloween. Have you noticed that? And it's contending for attention as soon as October 31st, with, which just makes the wait for Christmas even longer. And that could be wonderful, or that could be wearying. I gotta tell you, I didn't wait for Christmas well when I was a kid. I always wanted to have Christmas before it was time for Christmas. I want you to think about that thought. It's kind of the story of my life in a lot of ways. I was a present shaker. Any, any present shakers when you were kids? Any present shakers when mom and dad weren't looking? Yeah, Benji, me too. Yeah. I was a present shaker, and if mom and dad weren't looking, because I, I knew what I was hoping for, and I could, I could sort of tell what it was by how it shook, except I broke a few of my presents that way. That wasn't very good. But I also took presents to the bathroom. Any present weighers here? Did any any of you weigh your presents? I took my presents to the bathroom to put them on the scale to try to figure out, is this the G.I. Joe helicopter (laughs) that that I so wanted that Christmas? And I did get it. It was broken because I shook it too hard. But I did. I did get it. Um, (laughs) But at 64... I just need to make a confession. I still find myself not waiting well. I still want God's promises before God is ready to provide them for me. I want tomorrow's grace today. I just tend to do that. And that can make waiting wearying. I often whine while I wait. Any of you have wine with your wait? And I forget, I forget that Christmas 
was the story of God's unfolding glory. Not a microwavable holiday that we can open whenever we feel like it. The wait for the first and true Christmas was far longer than my waiting for Christmas between November and December. The wait for the first Christmas, the incarnation, so if you're visiting again today, I'm using the word Christmas just because that's our culture. We're talking about the incarnation, the promised son of God, the promised serpent crusher that was given in Genesis 3, that promise that was given. But the wait for that first Christmas was in the neighborhood of some 6,000 years. Boy, that makes the wait between November and December pretty insignificant. The people were wanting that first Christmas to come right away too. So nothing has changed in the heart of fallen man. We all want to be rescued. We all want to be bailed out as quickly as possible. Eve thought that the Christmas might have come when in the Messiah, the serpent crusher, might have been born when she had her first son, Cain. But he wasn't the serpent crusher as much as he seemed to be an agent of the serpent, didn't he? Well, maybe Abel was to be the promised serpent crusher until he was crushed by Cain. More waiting. Then Seth was born. And just maybe, maybe could we call Seth Christmas? Could we call Seth Christmas? Could this be the promised son? No, no. Seth is a sign from God. Be encouraged. He's a sign from God that he's in control and the seed of the woman is having offspring and we're headed in the right direction. But the promised son is going to be way better than Seth. Amen? Okay, okay then. It must be Noah. It must be Noah. It's Christmas. Noah is here. No, Noah is a seed of the woman, but not the seed of the woman. And Jesus would be much better than Noah, wouldn't he? But there was more waiting. And there needed to be more worship. And there was more weariness. And there was more whining. Why did God wait some 6,000 years between his promise to send his son to save us from our sins and the actual virgin birth? Sinless life, victorious resurrection, of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Why so many decades? Why so many centuries? Why so many millennium? Why so many generations? Why so much waiting? So I want you to be thinking about, while we're, we're talking about this, there's not one of us in here that aren't waiting on something. So I, want, I think there's going to be much to learn about how to wait well in this unfolding story of the glory of God in the first Christmas. Um, couldn't have God have immediately manifested his glory in sending Christ to crush the serpent's head? Why did he choose to reveal himself in an unfolding glory to tell the Christmas story? I, I wouldn't presume to know all that was in God's mind and his heart about this, but I think we would be safe to include the following possibilities. An immediate rescue would bring relief to people, but not necessarily the transformation of people. Have you ever thought about that? Have you, you know, it's that kind of that foxhole prayer, that person just says, God, if you get me out of this, right? You're just looking for the bailout. You just don't want to pay the price for what the things you've done wrong. You don't want to get caught for what you've done wrong. And, and an immediate rescue would give you relief, but then that person, even though he prayed a prayer, 
continues to live just the very same kind of life that he always did. An immediate rescue would bring relief to people, but not necessarily a transformation. God uses waiting to change us. He uses waiting to transform us. So because of that, I think we could say, if transformation is part of the grace of waiting, then waiting is worth it, amen, wouldn't you say? Waiting is worth it. An immediate rescue and display of God's glory would have only reached a few people. But do you remember God's plan from the beginning was to fill the earth with people made in his image and that people of every ethnicity would know him as Savior and Lord. Our waiting for the fulfillment of his promise is so that others can become sons and daughters. And because of that, waiting is worth it. How many of you are waiting for a beloved person in your family, or next door neighbor, an extended family member to come to know Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that it's an unfolding story of God's glory? And that God's patience is for the very salvation of people who have yet to believe. Waiting is worth it, isn't it? An immediate rescue and display of his glory would have proven God reigned over one generation. But he's the God over all creation and over all time and every generation. He's the maker and sustainer of generations. He rules and reigns over each one. Precious ones, waiting is worth it. So we can learn that God is in complete control, moment by moment, generation after generation. And when we remember these things, we can become worshipful and expectant and filled with faith in our waiting. Almost like the expectancy of a child on Christmas morning or a groom has when he longs to see his bride on his wedding day. Alan, wouldn't you say that waiting was worth it to get Danielle? Did you hear that? Very. Not, not just, yeah. Very. Alan and Danielle, wasn't waiting worth it to get Benji and Andrew? Josh. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Who said that, Benji or Andrew? Yeah. <clears throat> Benji, it was not only worth it for your mom and dad, Benji and Andrew, it was worth it for our whole church family. It was waiting was, you were worth the wait, you guys. Josh Ray's, wasn't it worth the wait to get Alexis? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, you couldn't have gotten here fast enough, sweetheart. Jan Ray's. Was it, was it worth the wait? For me? She waited, you guys. Come and talk to us about that story. Oh, my goodness. You know, we, we would say it's worth the wait for a lot of results in our lives. But I think waiting for results, let me ask you this. Have you guys ever made some pretty big mistakes in waiting while you were dating? I made some of the biggest mistakes of my life, some of the biggest sins in not waiting well when I was dating. I made some of the biggest mistakes in my life about not waiting well in terms of the call of God on my life. I made some big mistakes. So I, I don't think that we do well to just, re, just look forward to the result of waiting. I think God has something way better for us than that. And you're going to see that in the main point this morning as we unfold it. 
Because I think if we'll get today's main point, we can be worshipful in our waiting and not whiners while we wait. Um, I believe that with all my heart that we can learn to worshipfully wait upon the Lord and the fulfillment of his promises when we remember that it is the unfolding glory of his Christmas story that turns whiners into worshipers. Because God calls us to wait with our eyes fixed on him, not just his promises. This morning we find Christmas from the beginning in the story of Abraham and the son that was promised to he and Sarah, who were physically unable, she was physically unable to have children, not to mention they were too old. We can learn so much about how to wait for the unfolding glory of God's story in our lives, not just in the Christmas story, as we watch and walk through this story of God's faithfulness to Abraham and how his story points us to Christmas. So here's our main point this morning. The promises of God are worth waiting for when our eyes are on the presence of the promise maker. So you see what I've done there? I've tried to get your eyes off of the result of waiting. And I'm trying to get our eyes on the presence of the promise maker. Because if we have him right now as our greatest treasure, then waiting is worth it, not because of the result, but because we're with him. He makes waiting worth it. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So let's read Genesis chapter 12. And this is just a foundational chapter to really kind of tell the story of Abraham and Sarah's life over the next really 11 chapters. So if you're visiting today, this is the word of God. This is the inerrant, sufficient, authoritative, divinely inspired word of God. We come to it as a communication from God's heart to our heart. It is like no other work in history. It is the word of God. Abraham chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow. Big promises there. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75. Take note. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Big problem. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going to the Negev. So this is real exciting right now. Here we go. Trouble waiting. 
Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and that when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? And why did you not tell me she was your wife? And why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had into into 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you just, by your spirit, carry us on this journey? We want to be worshipful waiters upon your promises not for the results, not just for the benefits of your promises to us. We want to be worshipful waiters because our eyes are on the promise maker. And you will always be enough for us. We love you, Lord. Please speak to our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you remember Genesis Oh, guys, did I do something wrong? Genesis 1 through 11. I'm, I'm just, we're just going to have to wait. <laughs> test 1, 2, test 1, 2. Is that better? I think that's better. Yeah, thank you, guys. Great job. So there's the crisis of the fall in Genesis 3. With the entrance of sin comes the promise of the seed of the woman who had crushed the serpent's head. Then there was the crisis of the flood. So sin is just building and just just cumulative. It's becoming more cumulative, it seems like. It's stacking up on each other. But there's the promise of the Savior as seen through Noah and the ark. In Genesis 11, it's the whole Tower of Babel thing. And it's the crisis of man's arrogance and independence from God, wanting to make a name for themselves and refusing a big part of that, guys. God's mandate for for mankind was to fill the earth with his image. And this, this was a group of people who said, it's not about your name, it's about our name. It's not where you want us to go, it's where we want to go, and we just happen to want to stay here. We're not going to go into all the earth. And so there, there comes the dispersion and God changing languages because God's going to get people into all the world one way or another. 
But there's so much sin and so much ugliness and so much hate and so much death. What in the world is is happening? Why should God do anything good for people like us who regularly spurn his love in order to make a name for ourselves? And yet God insists on blessing people from all nations. And as he used Mary in spite of her sin to be the mother of a lineage of righteous people, he's going to use Abraham. He's going to use a man to be a foundational instrument of his grace who would be a channel of blessing in whose lineage would come the one God-man who would be the one to save people from every nation. So let's look at this promise of God's unfolding glory in verses 1 through 9. Here are the promises just in summary form. First, God promises, I'm going to give you a people. That's not only good for Abraham, I think that's good for some people's hearts today. We're, we're, we're struggling in this society with so much connectedness, supposedly through the internet. The statistics are saying people have never been lonelier. You ever feel like you're looking for your people and just can't find them? Part of God's promise in salvation is I want to give you a people. I don't want you to be alone. And so to make that happen, though, Abraham and Sarah are getting older. Sarah is barren. And so there's this impossibility. There's a promise with an impossibility. Do you feel like that sometimes in your life? It feels like God's making some promises, I think. But the way I look at my life, it's impossible for these to come about. That's what this feeling like. So here's a promise. I'm going to give you a people. This people is going to actually come from your own seed. And one of those, that seed will bless all nations. He says, I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you a place. And we think of that place as Canaan. That's what it is contextually. We think of that place as maybe Jerusalem. As we look to the second coming of Christ, we look at that place as the new heavens and the new earth. God wants to give you a place. And uniquely in this journey until Jesus comes again, that place is a local church. He wants to give you a people. He wants to give you a place. But I want you to be noticing, it's not just the people. It's not just, oh, I got some buddies to hang out with. Or I I have a religious institution to attend. That's not it at all. It's I have people to hang out with whose focus is Christ the Lord. It's I have a place to to gather with people. And really the place is Jesus himself. He is the place. So you see the whole focus here. There's a lot of promises being given in terms of some external things that God will make happen. But the focus is not on the results and the promises. The focus is on what he does and what he is present to do in your heart right now. Not waiting for the promise that you've been expecting for years and you're getting weary of waiting for. You have him right now. Amen? That's the good news of Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. I'll give you protection. Those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. In spite of how impossible it may look, I'm going to give you a purpose. You're going to actually be a people who are going to participate with God in reaching people from all nations. So the people, place, protection, and purpose are all summed up in the presence 
of the person of the promise maker, the presence of God himself. That's what he's really trying to get across here. Abraham, you now have a relationship with me. Walk with me. Know me. Enjoy me. And let's walk toward the unfolding glory of the Christmas story. So the call to follow God was given by sovereign grace and it's sustained by sovereign grace. Abraham was an idol worshiper. He, he wasn't seeking God. You can see that in Joshua 24 too. If you want to go back and look at that, you see his lineage and his father and grandfather. The call to Abraham came by sovereign grace. God opened his heart. God opened his eyes to follow him. And with the grace of the call comes the grace to sustain the call. That's another way we wait well. Lord, I feel like I'm just losing it. I'm losing my grip here. I'm so disappointed. It seems like there's more disappointment and discouragement in my life than there is hope. Wait. How did your salvation begin? By your choice or by God's choice of you? Did it begin because you were worth something or you had some goodness or value in your life or because your life was of infinite disvalue because of sin and God, in spite of our sin, chose you by grace to be saved? And if it's grace that started your salvation, grace will carry you all the way home. And grace will help you wait regardless of how long the wait is for the promises but it's worth waiting for because you're with the promise maker. So that's what's happening here. So he gives him this unfolding story of his glory. He's he's declaring his unending and everlasting love. God has the power to fulfill what he promises. And so Abram and Sarah respond with affection for God. They trust in his word. They leave country and kindred. They're going on with the Lord to pursue a life of knowing God, uh, loving God more than loving anything else. And they follow him one step at a time, one day at a time. Don't look for the fast forward button in the Christian life. And you would miss so much of the day by day grace that God wants to give you. If you it, it's just so easy to turn the answer to turn a promise from God as though that promise was some sort of savior as though the result was going to save you from disappointment and loneliness and fear and heartache the savior can be with you right now we worry about so many things we have no control over we need to replace those things with what we can do something about love the lord with all your heart Trust in him with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Those are things you can do something about. And those will have a way bigger impact on your life than if you could somehow manipulate the things out of your control. Because that's the way God changes us. Verse 8, we notice that he goes between Bethel and Ai and he builds an altar to the Lord and he calls upon the name of the Lord And right away, we see that in this promise-making God, there's also the need to come to him by the blood. It humbles us that, that an innocent has to die as a sacrifice for the sins of the guilty. So, so Abraham is, is coming by the blood. He's humbled 
that God is accepting him on the basis of a sinless sacrifice, not on his own righteous efforts, which he had none. So he's coming by the blood, and then he's in prayer. That word prayer can be translated both as talking to God, but also making declarations for God. Are you seeing how we wait? This is how we wait. We stay near to the cross. We call out to the Lord. We proclaim his name. Is that the way you're waiting? And if you're not, it's no wonder you're having so much struggle in your waiting. That's how we worshipfully wait for the unfolding glory, not just of the Christmas story, but of God's story in your life. He pitched his tent. And you know, that's kind of interesting. He didn't build a house. (laughs) This is not my home. Even though this is a land you're calling me to, my home is with God wherever he goes. And I'm just going to go with him until he brings me into his people, his place, providing protection along the way as I join him in trying to reach people for his glory. That's how we worshipfully wait for the Lord. So Abraham is 75 at this point. The story unfolds. Here's the problem of man's struggle to wait. So we have the promises of God's unfolding glory, but the problem of man's struggle to wait. God allows our faith to be tested to strengthen our faith. He tests faith not to fail you. Did you ever have teachers that you felt like, they're out to get me? They're, They're doing this test to try to fail me. God will never do that. God will give you a test to strengthen your faith not to fail your faith. And often after a great experience with the Lord comes a great trial to walk through. It's really the storyline of Scripture. And a trial that reveals if we're truly waiting on the Lord or simply wanting the answers to our prayers and to his promises. A trial reminds us that the promises of God are worth waiting for when our eyes are on the presence of the promise maker. Verse 10, here we go, problems. There's a famine in the land. How can this be? I thought I'm, I thought I'm in the land. I thought I'm where I'm supposed to be, where I'm supposed to be. How many of you moved to Midland? And man, for a little while you're going, I don't know. I don't know if I made the right choice. How many of you are going, I'm still in Midland. And I don't know if I'm supposed to still be in Midland. I just, it, it's, it's like, it's, it's just so crazy. There's, there's a famine in the land of promise. Can there be problems in the unfolding story of God's, uh, the unfolding glory of God's story? Of course, there can be problems. We can't think like that. We can't think, that, oh, I've got the promises. Stand on the promises. Well, do stand on the promises with your eyes on the promise maker. There's going to be times in your life when your doubts seem more real and more powerful than God's promises. But that's only to help you to not trust in yourself, but upon the one who's present with you, the God who has mercy, to learn that the promise is worth waiting for because he is with you and will never forsake you. You guys, if getting the promise is your goal, then what you're going to be likely to do is conform the promise to your image and not to what God wanted to give you when he first promised it. So I just love to tell you my goofy stories so that you'll feel better about yourselves. Um, I, I, was, 
I've been a mush ball since I was younger. I, I can remember, I, well, this is terrible. I stole a ring in sixth grade to give to a girl I had a crush on. What a mush ball. And, an, and, a, and a thief. <laughs> and a thief. And um, I used to listen to Chicago. Anybody, this is, oh, this is dating me. This is when Chicago was actually, like, young. And it wasn't all the guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Praise God that those guys are out still singing and everything, but they don't sound like they used to. Um, but all the love songs. Um, bread. Anybody listen to Bread? Oh! And I would think of the girls in my class. And I would just, I was such a mushball. And that didn't stop. And I wasn't well discipled. And I really looked forward to being married, even though I was scared to death of it. And, um, and one night, yeah, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was a bank examiner. Uh, for the FDIC, about that for part of my past. And, um, and I'm lonely, and I'm just going, God, am I ever going to get married? And I, and I think I hear this, Marsha. It sounded like, like a real voice, Marsha. Now, you need to know, I had a super big crush on Marsha of the Brady Bunch. Okay, so it's just so crazy. So, and so if those of you who are visiting, I'll make the end, end of the story right here. I'm not married to Marsha. I'm married to Jan. You got the wrong reason. Who was Martha's, Marsha's sister, right? Anyway, so anyway, it's just so crazy because for a long time, there would maybe it'd be a girl that we'd talk and everything. What's your name? Sally. Oh. Because I'm just taking whatever these supposed promises that I think God might be giving me and conforming them to my own image. And that's what happens if you take your eyes off the satisfaction and presence of the promise maker. So we need to be careful of that and that's what's, what's happening here. Did we make a wrong turn? Maybe we need to do something else. So they leave to Egypt. Let's leave the land of promise. That's a great idea. And let's go to Egypt to try to solve the problem on our own. And if we do that, it seems like, when, when we do that, it seems like our acts of distrust of the Lord are spurning his love, are doing things our way. It's like a magnet. Have you ever noticed, when I start doing things in a self-willed way, I just become a magnet for 10 other mistakes. 10 other sins just seem to pew, 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 just because I'm, it's just self-sufficiency. It's self-sufficiency. And then they get down there. So they're already abandoning the land, the place. And then the first recorded words of Abraham, he starts off, guys, listen to this. He starts off really good. Oh, Sarah, I know you're a beautiful woman. Great. Guys, tell your wives that more. That's a great way to start, but he finishes terrible. And then he goes, you're so beautiful, other guys are going to want you. So pretend you're my sister, and so that'll save my life. Oh my goodness, what a loving guy, right? So now he's sacrificing his wife on the altar of his own safety, which too many men do. Oh, so now they're only, they've not only left the promised place, they don't believe God will protect them. But they didn't count on Pharaoh wanting Sarah. Guys, don't, when you're teaching this to your kids, don't just teach them that Abram and Sarah had dealt with lying. I think that's a secondary issue. I think we need to teach them God keeps his promises. 
And they didn't trust God to keep his promise. And how do we know God will keep his promise, kids? Because he gave us Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's how we know. That's why we don't lie. Because we trust the Lord to lead us through the hard times that we're going through. God is faithful in our unfaithfulness. So God strikes Pharaoh's house with great plagues to protect Sarah and ultimately Abraham. And God's faithfulness for the unfaithful promotes humility. Humble people wait. Proud people don't tend to wait. So there's a value of humility that we may not think about. Humility just waits on the Lord. God's not going to allow the fulfillment of his promise to bring the Messiah to rest upon our frailty and faithlessness as people. It's always God's power that will guarantee his plan. And so Sarah and Abram are deported where? Back to Canaan. They're deported. And they go back into Canaan, and this is so cool. He, did you notice the scripture says, he went back to where he started. He went back to where he started. He goes back to the altar of worship. He goes back to the place where atonement was made at the cost of the life of a sinless substitute. We will wait well when we wait near the cross. We will always wait well. And then he again calls out to the Lord in prayer. And he's once again worshipfully waiting. But he's still also waiting for Christmas. Because there's still no sign of the son who was promised to him. And then the third point is the providence of God's unfolding story. So don't panic. We're not going to go verse by verse through chapters 13 through 22. But I do put that in there because we're talking about a bunch more years. A bunch more years. Genesis 13, Abraham and Lot need to separate. God gives Lot the choice of the land. That was awesome. Uh, Lot ended up choosing, the, in terms of the human eye, he chose the best part of the land that he could figure out. What he didn't count on was that also included Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram had to save Lot from Sodom and, uh, and, got, and was given fresh assurance that God still promised to Abram the land as far as his eye could see, regardless of what other people might try to take from him, God still, his promise was true. But now he just goes bigger with his promises. And he says, in fact, I'm telling you this, Abram, look at the dust of the earth. Try to count the dust of the earth. Because your legacy, the people coming from your seed, are going to be more than the dust of the earth. But still no son. Still waiting for Christmas. Genesis 14, Abraham faced fighting a war to rescue Lot from pagan kings. God gives him the victory. In the midst of Abraham's weakness, God gives Abraham one of the most wonderful ways to keep his eye on the promise maker because he met this unique person named Melchizedek. This promise maker, the presence of the promise maker, Melchizedek gave him bread and wine to refresh him. Melchizedek is known as the king and priest. Melchizedek is known as the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Hebrews says he had no father or mother. Who's he sounding like? Pre-incarnate uh, figure of Jesus Christ. God, guys, how God loves us. 
This is the guy who tried to sell out his wife. And God gives him a fresh expression of his presence to strengthen him. Do you know that's what God's doing right now for someone here? You've not been walking faithfully. There's so many ways you've been not trusting the Lord and trusting yourself and you're manipulating and controlling people trying to make your dreams to come true. And you might think, oh, how could God, how could God have a place for me? Well, we just sung about it today, didn't we? Oh, come, all you unfaithful. He will still give this Christ figure. He gives the presence of the promise maker to Abraham so that he could wait for the unfolding glory of the promises. What a great way to do that. So Abraham, there. now we go to Genesis 15. Abraham is fearful again. I mean, don't you see? Don't you, this is such the normal life of following God, isn't this? Don't, don't freak out that, oh man, I had such a spiritual high yesterday. Church was so good. You know, how, how are you doing? I had a great quiet time. Well, and the Lord answered a prayer. And then the next day, oh, I just... Oh, God, do you even love me? Do you even care? And this is what the first few verses of Genesis 15 say. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh, Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Here's another promise of a Christmas in terms of Abraham's experience. Get your eyes off of the promise, Abram, and onto the promise maker. And so, you know, he does next. He says, hey, let's go outside. And they go outside. And, what, and what, you tell me. You tell me the story. Where does God have him look? At the stars. Do you see what the Lord loves to do? The Lord has these very tender, loving ways to get our eyes off ourselves. Look up. Look at the greatness of my creation. And then again, he uses that to say, count the stars, Abraham. And it says, if you can. Because you're... you're your, your offspring shall be more than them. And then God gives him the greatest way to hope and fix your eyes on the promise maker. He makes a covenant with Abraham. Do you remember that? So now he puts Abraham to sleep and Abraham is, has this vision of he sees God enter into a covenant with Abraham, though Abraham is not, is not actively engaging in the covenant making. What happens in that smoking furnace and torch that's passing through the blood of the sacrifice is God is saying this. Here's how committed I am to you. Here's how committed I am to my will being done in your life and my promises coming to pass for you. I'm going to keep every promise I make to you. And you know what? Now, covenant means you have to keep your promises to me. The price for breaking covenant is death. Here's what I'm going to do. I'll be faithful to you. I know you won't be faithful to me. I'll be crushed to prove my love for you. I'll be faithful. I'll never let you down. And I'll pay the price for your law breaking. Love so amazing. Love so divine. 
that demands my soul and my life and my all. Are you think, do you regularly think of God's covenant of salvation when you're waiting? It gets your eyes off the, off the promise you think you need to be happy. And you suddenly find joy welling up in your heart again to think I already have all I need in the promise maker. Genesis 16, have you noticed? Here we go, he's getting older. Um, have you noticed as, as you get older, time seems to pass more quickly? This had to be the fastest year of my life. Anybody else? Did, any, did 2023, shouldn't it be like February right now? I just, it's boggling to me. But the passing of time is kind of wonky. It's kind of dangerous, isn't it? Even more so if you've not received something you've been waiting for and time is just passing me by and you begin to fear that your best days may be behind you or you're too old for God's promise to come to pass. <clears throat> Whatever it is, whether it's physically, whether it's spiritually, it's just, it's like the clock is ticking. Just want you, I say that with some passion because I think we just, our hearts and lives are no different than the lives of these people of dust that are told about in the Bible. As time seems to move faster, did you ever think that God is moving slower? It can feel that way. It'd be easy to think that the strong assurance through the covenant they were given in Genesis 15 means, oh, I've got the covenant. The sun will be born tomorrow. <laughs> I, just, I just do that. I am so silly about how I think God should respond. But no, they received the promise of offspring in Genesis 15. That was 10 years ago. He's now, he was 75 when he first received the promise in Genesis 12. And now he's 85. What should we do? Maybe, you ever hear this? This is not a scripture. God helps those who help themselves. That's not a scripture. But that's what Abram and Sarah do. Maybe Christmas can come sooner. How? Well, I'm not giving you a child. How about go to my servant, Hagar? And maybe God would count the baby that comes from Hagar to be Christmas for us. Sounds like a great idea, huh? Sounds like a great idea. Here's essentially what we do. God, would you bless my flesh and count my, the works of my flesh to be good enough? I don't, I don't want to walk by faith. I want to walk by sight. God, bless the plans that I have for me. I don't want the plans. I don't want, I'm not so much concerned about the plans you have that you want to bless. Bless my plans. And that's what's happening, and you know what's, what happens. He goes into Hagar. She has Ishmael. There's so much of Genesis 3 in this. It says, Abram listened to his wife. She gives him Hagar. Adam listened to Eve. She gave him the fruit. So there's just this dysfunction. And when we're not waiting well, it affects everything. It affects our relationships. It affects our marriages. It can affect our, our, our just relationships with other people. So now Abraham is 86 when Ishmael was born to Hagar. You get into Genesis 17 and there's just silence. It just says 13 years pass. 13 more years 
pass. After Ishmael was born, and Abraham is now 99. And still no Christmas. Still no promised son. And Abraham asked God, can't we just call Ishmael the, the, the son? Please, he does that in Genesis 17. I, this is really good homework for you guys to just read these passages on your own. Can't we just call Ishmael good? And God's name and covenant are mentioned in Genesis 17 more than any section of this, this passage in this journey. Covenant, covenant, covenant. God, God, God. And he says to Abraham, one year from now, one year from now, you're going to have a son. And it's not going to be born through any other woman but Sarah, even though you're both old and she is barren. And Abraham laughs. How can this be? He said, it's impossible. That's right, God said, it is impossible. It's going to take a miraculous birth. And it's going to be given by the power of God. And that's why you'll have a son. And you're going to name him Isaac. Verse 7 says, most important part of that, I will be God to you. All of me for all of you. I mean, think about that. Just meditate on this. Take this for the rest of the day. God's saying to you, whatever you're going through, I will be God for you. Why should I? How can I worry if that's true? All of his love, all of his wisdom, all of his power, all of his plan, all of his grace, all of his forgiveness, all of his mercy. I will be God for you, not in the future, but if you'll turn to me right now, I'll be God to you right now. And you'll have the promise maker. And that's what make it worth, worth waiting for the unfolding glory of my promises. Genesis 18 God manifests himself again. And this time Sarah hears. And because it says Sarah is going to have the son one year from now. And she laughs. A lot of laughter going on in these passages. And you guys, the miraculous, what this is telling us is the miraculous birth of this baby would be God's guarantee that nothing could stop his plan. And that through the birth of Isaac would come the guaranteed birth of the one coming still, the one far better than Isaac, the serpent crusher, the savior, the Messiah, through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. So, so if, you, if you need to see the gospel in the Old Testament and just see how, the, how many ways God assures us that he's in control and he's working out a plan in our lives, the fact that he gave Abram and Sarah Isaac in a miraculous way is your guarantee that nothing can stop God from fulfilling all of his plan for salvation and for the blessing of the nations. Not just us personally, but for the blessing of all nations. Genesis 21, they may, and so you can go look at it, they may as, they may as well sing, Joy to the world, Isaac is born. Oh, this is so great. And they are laughing and they are rejoicing the boy has come. It feels like Christmas now. Is there anything God can't do? He was so worth waiting for. Oh, but here's the end of the story. See, the, the whole focal point wasn't just giving Isaac. 
the whole focal point was for Abraham to see Christ's day. Because even, he's an Old Testament saint, but God keeps just saying, keep your eyes on the promise maker. And here's, I don't want you to just keep, it's not just an exercise of, of focusing. It's an exercise of me changing your heart to be more like me, the Lord is saying. So it's not just that I gave you Isaac. I want you to know my heart and what I plan to do with my son. And I'm going to illustrate that in what I'm going to ask you to do with your son. So you remember the story. I want you to take that son that you've waited some 25 years for. And now he's here. And you can almost like breathe a sigh of relief, it seems like, right? It's so often. Have you ever done that? You got what you were hoping for from God, and then you started coasting in your Christian life. God, it's not about coasting. It's about growing to be more like him. And so God is forming Abraham's heart to be more like his heart. I want you to take the son that you love, your only son, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. They've strapped the wood to Isaac's back just like they strapped the cross to Jesus' back. They go up and, and the, the place of sacrifice would one day end up being the place where the temple was. And there, the fire is there. The father is ready to set the, the knife into the son and the fire from the father upon the son. And, and Isaac is noticing and Isaac is surrendering to this. And Isaac is saying, well, Lord, I, Father, I think we've got everything except where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, you remember what he said? The Lord will provide for himself the lamb. Some people think that it literally says God will provide himself as the lamb. And then you hear this bleeding. What a funny word, bleeding. It's a ram. And it's got its head all caught up in a thorn bush. And when Abraham is ready to do it, God says, stop. Stop. All I'm doing is teaching you what the father heart of God is like in, willing, in wanting to pay the sin debt for the guilty through the gift of his son, Jesus. And so Isaac isn't that Jesus, is he? Isaac was just the, the promise made in a miraculous way that would help us to see Christmas from the beginning in Genesis while we wait upon the Lord. So here's the kicker about all this, guys. And Eric, you want to go ahead and come on up? Here's the kicker in all of this. You notice the whole point of this, this, this walk with Abraham through Genesis is God makes amazing promises and he keeps his promises. But the best treasure of all is not the promise, it's the presence of the promise maker, except in one case. What was the promise that was laid in a manger in the city of David? What was the promise? God himself. <laughs> We're waiting upon God now. And he's always going to be the treasure. He, he's the promise maker. He's the promise himself. And I think that will make us worshipful waiters. So how, where, so what, what's happening with you? 
Thank God for Christ coming at Christmas. Thank God for the birth, the incarnation of the Son of God. That's your guarantee that God is a promise-keeping God. But the greatest news about him is he's Emmanuel. He's God with you now. And that's what makes waiting worthwhile. Not getting you the promise that you're maybe conforming to your image, but waiting upon him to change your heart as he unfolds the glory of Christ's story through your life. Amen? Let's stand.